This is Vigneto, a podcast. From the sun and soil they grow. From the land and sea they roam. Drinking wine in the great unknown. I'm Susanna Gold. I'm a wine educator, brand ambassador, writer, and marketer with a keen interest in both new and old world wines. My websites are vignettocommunications.com and susannagold.com. And of course, I have a wine blog, avinata.com. I'm particularly keen on Italy, where I lived for 15 years. While I do consider myself a wine geek, I love to look at wine from all aspects. One of the things I want to do with this podcast is delve into the many facets of the wine world, looking at it from multiple points of view. The podcast will have different series, and for the next 10 weeks, I will be discussing the topic of sustainability with my friend and fellow wine lover, geek, and expert, Sunny Gandara. Hi, everyone. I'm Sunny, and I've worked in multiple facets in the wine industry uh, over the past 15 years or so. Currently, I'm the U.S. brand director for Quechabella, which is an Italian winery located in Tuscany, and uh, I have a special interest in vegan and organic wines. I'm also the global wine director for Matthew Kenny Cuisine, which is a worldwide plant-based hospitality and restaurant group. Um, a trained chef and food and wine blogger on the side where my focus is on pairing wines with plant-based dishes. I want everyone to discover the enormous, exciting and delicious world of plants and the gastronomic pleasures you can get eating a vegan diet with a glass of wine, of course. Today's guest is Jennifer Huther, Canada's first master sommelier and co-founder of Social Herbivore, among many other pursuits. So I'm really excited to have you on today. And Sunny, I think you're up with the first question. Yes. Hi, Jennifer. Very nice to have you with us today. Um, so as uh, Susanna said, you're Canada's first female master sommelier, which I think is super cool. And you're also a fellow WSET diploma holder. Um, so I was curious because I've been following you for a while. And of course, I know you a little bit uh, through social media and, and things like that. What what led you to focus on Canadian wines? I see you promoting a lot of them and also, of course, vegan and uh, organic wines. Yeah, well, I mean, I have really grown up here and it's really interesting because the wine industry here I've actually grown up in wine with the wine industry here. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, So, you know, looking back here in Ontario, for example, in Canada, 30 years ago, there was just a a handful of kind of mom and pop cottage industry type of wineries around. And, um, you know, once in a while, you'd find someone who made one good wine But outside of that, it was, um, you know, it it was it was just really an emerging region at that point. And I have seen uh, Ontario and in fact, Canada just really blossom and explode over, you know, as I said, the last um, 30 years, in particular, the last 10 it's really, you know, we've really gained momentum here. And I mean, understanding that in in Canada, with this being new new wine regions, I mean, 30 years isn't a long time to figure out the lay of the land and what grows where. And we're dealing with um, very different climates. So in Ontario, we have really 
uh, a continental climate with four seasons and pretty intense winter. So for all intents and purposes in our wine world, it's a it's cool climate. And it took a while to understand that Syrah wasn't going to make it through the winter necessarily here or Cabernet Sauvignon wasn't going to excel in this climate. Right. As well, when you look at BC, they have part of a desert in the south Okanagan and then it really swings all the way up in East Kelowna to a little bit um, more of a cool climate as well. So it's just suffice to say it's been fascinating to live here and to be in wine and a lot of times in my career be purchasing and to have witnessed this massive evolution in our industry here and now I'm I can safely say I'm super proud of what we're making here um so I guess that is part of where I guess my passion lies and and why I love to promote Canadian wines and the second part of that was sustainable and you know again just um growing and learning one thing I think a lot of us forget particularly that aren't in the wine industry is that indeed wine is an agricultural product it comes from a farm and, and it's, yeah, of course it comes from a farm. Of course it comes from a grape, but I don't know, somehow it's lost in translation with the end user. And a lot of times they're just thinking about, you know, the juice that's in the bottle. They're not really absorbing that backstory, particularly, I mean, maybe some of the romance of how somebody founded the winery or, you know, the love story behind it, but they don't actually think like, this is an agricultural product. And um, with that, being an agricultural product, as we know, conventional farming can be so bad for absolutely everybody that works in the farm, who lives around the farm, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the animals, so forth and so on. So um, I guess that's, you know, why I'm really passionate about that. That's so. really, really interesting. And I think the same is true the world over <laughs> that people forget the connection between wine and the farm and that how much wine is really an agricultural product. So I wanted to know, have you seen in this evolution that many more producers in Canada, particularly are thinking about organic biodynamic or sustainable wines? Is that a topic that is, you know, hot on everyone's mind? Absolutely. It's so funny. I mean, think back to, I don't know, 15 years ago in the wine industry. Remember organic was almost like a bad word. It was like, yep. yeah. oh, that's so nice. You want to be organic. How cute for you. But meanwhile, like right. oh, the wines are horrible, right? Um, I mean, wow, haven't things changed big time and, and here as well in Canada. And I really do what I love that I'm seeing here is that it's not necessarily being consumer driven. It's being driven from the wineries themselves. And I have to applaud the winemakers and, and the wineries who are investing in this because it is an investment. To get these certifications and to be in compliance, it, can, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of times reworking everything you thought, right, and you use. And, and here what I'm seeing is that they're leading the charge, which is really interesting because you would think that, I mean, technically a marketplace would force, uh, you know, a farm or winery mm-hmm into into doing the right thing uh what's best for the environment but it's the other way around and and so that's i'm super excited about that so here in canada as far as sustainability goes we we got a certification in ontario for wines about i want to say four years ago it's still quite new 
uh, but we already have 13 wineries who have received it and earned it, which is amazing in such a short window. And I know that in BC, um, their certified sustainable uh, will come online this spring. So that's very exciting. And there's a lot of winemakers behind that movement and um, putting that together. And then, of course, organics. And, and don't forget, too, sustainability can be, you can be certified in the vineyard or you can be certified in the winery or both. And same with organics, right? So you can be certified in the vineyard or in the winery or both. And it's certainly a lot easier in the Okanagan in BC where it's quite a dry climate to achieve organic status. Um, but what's encouraging there is some of the biggest wineries like Mission Hill, for example, and, and their umbrella brands are all going to be certified organic uh, within the next year and a half or so. So when the largest player of wine in the region is doing this, I mean, it's just really exciting and, and it's just very positive. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, I know you said it's producer driven rather than consumer driven, but in terms of the Canadian consumer in general, do they look for local products? Do they look for local food agricultural products? And do you see that kind of as an easy push to move them towards organic wine or biodynamic wine? Yes and no. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to answer the no part first. Because here's the weird thing about Ontario. Like I said, I've been selling Ontario wine here for decades. Um, What I used to find when I was a big buyer here in in Ontario, and we would have Canadians and Americans come and dine with us is who would support was was our American fellows. They Hmm. wanted to try our wine. The Canadians were like, nah, this, this, misconception that it's from here it's not that good the french wine's going to be better the american wine's going to be better anything but our own wine i mean our own wine it's so there wasn't there wasn't that love of local Mm -hmm. um, here innately whereas in bc in british columbia in in canada it was flipped whereas Mm. in bc all all the restaurateurs everybody just embraced bc wines huge from the get-go so it's a very different uh you know it's been a hurdle to get over really with our consumers here now i would say it is absolutely shifting thank goodness uh first of all we're making tons of great wine and very interesting wines here but i think also we have younger generation coming in we have more awareness of eating local 100 mile diet all those sorts of things that are really helping. So I think, you know, I've seen this little bit of a a shift here where our local community is much happier to support um, local. We have other barriers too. So for example, local wineries selling wines in Ontario have an import tax. Mm -hmm. It's quite significant. So we have to work out some of these um, really archaic laws Mm -hmm, (laughs) that mm -hmm. really don't serve us. And I don't know if you, you know, you have those in some of your states as well. We do. Yeah, it's just crazy, right? And yeah, just barrier and, and nobody removes them. Like, why are they still here? Yeah. No, we have a lot of, uh, not necessarily the same ones, but we have those kind of uh, regulatory issues. So you said something I just wanted to ask you because I've never heard of it. What's a 100-mile diet? You only eat within 100 miles of where you live? 
Yeah, I think this is, and Sunny, you can probably add color to this as well, because this is kind of, you know, like a, a like a chef's thing, right? Where the idea is you would collect um, and forage and, you know, support farmers and so forth that were local and eat local. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty cool concept. And, um, you know, and I think, you know, other things too, like I think the pandemic has probably helped drive more interest to local supporting local wines here, mm-hmm. as well, which is pretty interesting and unique. Um, but I wanted to say as far as the second part of that question too, with do consumers here in Canada care and look at packaging? They're starting to. What I understand and know is that one, we need to simplify it for them because your average consumer already finds wine complicated, complicating and it complicated and, and kind of overwhelming at times, right? And uh, they don't really know what these certifications mean or what they're for or what they do. And so there's some education that needs to happen here. And we're certainly seeing that on the geeky sommelier level or, uh, you know, like Sunny studying for MW, like absolutely they're going to know what all of this terminology is and what it means. But your average customer is going to go, huh, this is vegan. I thought all wines were vegan or, you know, what is sustainability with wine? Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I haven't now that being said, there is a huge push to look at, uh, look for vegan certifications or wines that at least have the V symbol on them. Mm-hmm. I've seen, um, massive, massive uptick in that. Mm. Well, that's, that's interesting. Cause I always wonder if people make the connection between changing their behaviors uh, now that we've been through this uh, pandemic, like, are they making the connection? How can I make make this better, if you will, and by eating local or even thinking about we need to treat this planet better? Um, or is it's you know been a lot of focus on vaccines and getting us you know healthy again? But like, where did it all originate from, right? So <laughs> it's uh, it's good to hear that some people are making the connection. But I wanted to switch gears a little bit because, of course, I, you have a super interesting project which you call your passion project called the Social Herbivore, and I would love for you to tell our listeners about that a little bit. It's a company you co-founded with my friend Priya, and um, you know what your mission is with this initiative. Yeah, thanks. Well. About three years ago, I have to start at the beginning. About three years ago, I was tasked um, by the company that I worked for uh, to create a seminar. Okay, create an educational seminar. It could be whatever I want, just create something new. And I did a bit of research and I really thought on it. And I thought, you know what? Plant-based food and vegan, if you take it in the context of a diet, Right. And it's a lot more than that, I know. But even from a diet is the fastest growing trend in North America. And I thought nobody is really talking to all of these people about having a fabulous experience with wine and food. What's, mm. You know, it's, it's just like everybody thinks, OK, if you're vegan, then you just eat granola And you certainly (laughs) wouldn't enjoy a glass of wine. And we all know this is not the case. So I thought I wanted to do a seminar on this and I wanted to just do like a bit of a deep dive. And so we had a dinner, we had a big seminar with Psalms 
and it was awesome. Really great chef who, I mean, amazing food. We paired it all with vegan friendly uh, wine. So it was all vegan. He talked to the trade and, and at that time I did get a few like ice, like looks out of the side of my, you know, like, what are, what are you doing, Jen? Like, is this a thing? I think that was the, one of the quotes, is this actually a thing, Jen? And I was like, oh yeah, you watch, you watch. It's a thing. Well, Priya came to the dinner and by the way, it was sold out. And, hmm. um, and she said, you know, we, we got chatting. She said, you know, I've been really wanting to meet with you and work on a book. And like, let's, let's talk about this. Cause that was kind of her idea was to do a book. And we had a coffee, we talked about this book idea, and that was it. I was sold. I was like, absolutely, there is no book out there explaining how to work plant-based food with wine and make it an amazing and magical experience. And so Mm. we've been working on that now for three years, I want to say. And we are getting close. By the end of the summer, we should be published. Like, it should be done. Great. Congratulations. I'm super excited about it. Yeah. I can't wait to get my hands on it. (laughs) So the social herbivore is a book. Is it also a company that does seminars? What what else do you guys do or, or will you be doing? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, the book is definitely, um, I guess the foundation of, of how and why we came together. But that being said, we have, we've done a couple of, we've started a few other projects, if you will. So one of them is to create a vegan directory. Um, so we've start, started that for wineries. Um, so we started that just in Canada and we're just tackling Canada first, because again, what we found was, um, people didn't know where to go and find wines that were vegan friendly. And uh, so we've, we've started that and that's been really fun. And it's been amazing to see the amount of wineries now getting certification in the last couple of years. Again, a couple of years ago, when we talked to them about it, they're like, what are you talking about? And they've come back to us actually several and said, yeah, we've, we've got the certification. So we do that together. We do um, tastings and events also um, around plant-based matching food and wine. And again, just elevating that experience, right? It's, it's meant to be social. It's meant to be fun, but there's no reason you can't have that fabulous, like aha moment mm. in wine just because yeah. it's plant-based. And I mean, Sunny will attest to this as, as a chef as well. I would argue you actually need a higher level of skill really to create these magnificent dishes because you're not just working with a great cut of meat that's basically going to sell itself, Mm -hmm. right? You, you know, you have to put the work in and, um, so yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. So the events have been really fun and um, just an, a, another way to kind of connect and grow our audience. Mm. Well, it's definitely sorely needed. And, um, you know, we are seeing, like you were saying, now people are getting certified, producers are getting certified. And now with uh, 11 Madison Park, the three Michelin star restaurant here in New York going plant-based, I think that will also change the uh the sort of landscape here, if you will. So I think it's more and more accepted that um, eating plants is not uh, lame. <laughs> it's actually good for you and can be very creative. And especially if you're a chef, if you're really passionate about food, I think you should embrace, you know, you have thousands of other things to to, to cook with, right? Not just your five average proteins. And uh, so I, I really love your messaging and the way you present it because it's like you said, vegans don't only uh, drink kombucha, right? We love wine too. <laughs> 
So can for kind of neophytes who might be listening and who aren't vegan and aren't experts, what makes a wine vegan? Can we just go through that for just a minute? Yeah, of course. Um, so, okay, there's different levels, really. But let's start with the one where most folks would be most concerned about, and that is the juice in the bottle. And so uh, wine can be not vegan from uh, different things used for fining or filtering. Okay. Mm -hmm. So making your wine like sparkly clear or, you know, not have a lot of sediment or things like that. Um, So historically what was used was what was around the farm. So blood, egg whites, what am I missing here? Um, Fish bladders. Fish bladders. Mm -hmm. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Some yep. delicious stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wait, I didn't know that blood was used. That's a new one to me. Yeah. yeah. Ox blood. Historically. Ox blood. Oh, yeah. okay. Now that kind of weaned its way out. But okay. uh, some of the others are, are quite popular, right? Uh, including right. egg white is really, really big. Really popular. So, yeah. Yeah. But um, that being said, there are, are vegan friendly alternatives. Um, like just using like a membrane membrane filter or pea protein is a big one or even just time. So letting the wine settle and then mm-hmm. racking off um, the clear wine basically. So hmm. there's opportunities and, and you, you can find a few other items as well. Like if sugar is added, that is derived from um, bone, bone char, right? yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and they might also use these uh, methods for, you know, uh, stabilizing color or adjusting tannins in that. So that's the big thing, right, is what's in the bottle. And so if you just avoid all of those, then the juice in the bottle doesn't have any of that. That usually is means a lot, okay, to to somebody, but you can absolutely go way further and this is what we're seeing some wineries do which is amazing and that means that you know everything from the glue that's on the label or the inks that are used for the label or what's happening in the vineyard right are they importing manure and using all kinds of animal products and using animals actually in the vineyard because if you look at the definition of vegan it's really not using animals for our our benefit right Mm -hmm. So it's, it's taking all of these things into consideration, the food that you serve at the winery, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there are, there are a couple of wineries where I look to them as the absolute example of this, like Corchabella, um, like Carlo Estate that we have here uh, in Ontario and Canada, right? And so um, when one is really wanting to dig into, okay, who is, who are, is this winery and what are they doing? Like, mm-hmm. I want to know, you know, mm-hmm. those are a couple of my go-tos where I'm like, you can feel super confident about, about these two wineries and they make good wine, of course, as well. That's really interesting. Thank you for that kind of um, 101 of vegan. I, I know wines, I know it's much, much more complicated than that. Um, I had a question that is sort of related to what we're talking about. So when I decided to call this podcast the sustainability series, I had a view of what the word sustainability is. Every person we talk to disagrees with me slightly and doesn't see it as a strong enough word with, you know, um, specific enough measurements to it. But to me, sustainability also meant 
care for animals and care for workers under the umbrella of sustainability. So other people call that social responsibility or regenerative regenerative agriculture, the three pillars under that. I know one of them is how you treat your workers. So I was wondering, how do you think of the word sustainability? Like, how do you see it in this kind of confusion of language? I know. I, I mean, it's a big word. You're right. And and let's understand too, even if we're just taking it in context of certifications, that they are all different region to region, country to country. They all have their own slight differences. And that might not be a bad thing because what is of most concern here in Ontario may not be of most concern in some place like California, for example. And I get that. But I mean, to me, sustainability is a holistic approach to their business and their vineyard. Um, and when you look at a business holistically, I mean, it should be sustainable financially. It should be sustainable to everyone who's working in it, right? And to, if, to and, and look at every piece of the pie really and everywhere so if you have a bottle like okay how is what's going on in the vineyard then how, what's going on in the winery and then how is that bottle being sent forward into the world as well and looking at the different stages of um of that as well right so i think you have to consider all of these words and even more like carbon footprint um you know and biodiversity um, if you are really indeed fully looking at sustainability as, um, as holistic. Mm. Well said. Thank you. I feel better already about the use of my term. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Yay. we're back on. Yay. Finally vindicated. Right? <laughs> Finally vindicated. Someone agrees with me. <laughs> anyway, I think you have a question. It's funny. Oh, yeah. I know you just landed a role as uh, director of uh, alcohol curation at Fresh City Farms, which I think is a company that provides um, organic groceries and meals. And um, uh, I assume that the wine selections you will be uh, you know, selecting will also be geared toward more environmentally friendly wines. And I was just curious about, um, do you see the demands for wines correlate with people's interest in organic foods? Do you, uh, do you find them asking where is my wine coming from versus, you know, we always want to know where our food comes from. Is there some sort of a movement towards that or what's your take on yeah, that? Absolutely. I think it's just been kind of like a natural growth pattern for the average consumer. They absolutely started with their food, but now that they're, they've kind of got that down. Now they're kind of looking to other products that they consume. So whether it be a juice or whether it be a beer or a wine, mm. um, absolutely, they want to know. And so um, for me, it, it's really interesting because I've had to kind of understand their sourcing policy to begin with, um, which is quite detailed and really looks at farming practices in great length of everybody um, and uh, many more things. And I'm, I'm actually creating a sourcing policy for us on alcohol and um, so that's really interesting. So I absolutely will be looking at organic, sustainable, biodynamic, um, fair labor, carbon footprint or carbon neutral um, and, and understanding if uh, a winery, for example, doesn't have those certifications. Okay. Are they practicing green anyways? And can they verify that with me and to me? Right. So I have to dig a little bit. 
um, if they don't have the certifications. And I personally don't slight any winery for not having a certification because you don't know where they are on their personal journey, right? They, the certifications might not have been available, which was what I was encountering in BC. This, this mm. sustainability certification isn't even online yet. So I can't slight anybody for not even having it. Um, and, and some of these farmers, as you all know, have been just practicing this. Yeah. No, they'll, they'll never go for a certificate. I shouldn't say never, but it hasn't even crossed their mind because right. they have just been <laughs> sustainable or even organic or, or some very close version to that forever. I think that's really important. And also, of course, there are monetary issues too of, uh, you know, the length of time it takes and the pipe paperwork. Do they have people to actually even do that? And of course, uh, the costs of it. Um, but I think that's great that, you know, having someone like yourself who's actually going in and, and doing the groundwork. And so you can know that I actually have done my research on these wines. I know what they're actually doing. Um, and I understand, of course, certifications is easier to just have that stamp at the back of your, but it, it's also a, sometimes a gray area what that actually means as well. So I think that educating people maybe uh, like you are doing through social herbivore and all, all the other um you know, areas you're involved in is, is really important uh, in the wine industry for sure. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I really do think it's up to us who are are educating really, who are buying and who are educating to to talk about this. And I'm so excited that you are doing this series and just, you know, bringing, bringing a spotlight to it because it's really that education that is going to help change the end user right? Mm -hmm. And therefore help grow um, this and, and make it even more accessible. We all know how much organics cost many years ago trying to buy an organic apple. Like what? Five dollars exactly. right. Right. <laughs> for an apple? What? what? <laughs> now, there, you know, now because there is, um, what are the words? Like, you know, there's mass, uh, you know, organic is, it's a big thing. It's, it's way easier in mm -hmm. ways it's still don't get me wrong it's still expensive to get the certification it's still expensive to to do this but when you're not the only kid on the block doing this you know when lots of people are there's just a lot more resources and of course it makes it slowly by slowly by slowly a little bit more affordable yeah this leads me to a question that i had but i'm not, i'm not sure maybe i'm confused but i thought that in some of the canadian provinces there was a monopoly that bought the wine is that right is there there are monopolies is that correct that is correct and yes here in ontario where i am um there is a monopoly so it is the um it's called the lcbo right that's the liquor control board of ontario basically in a nutshell right my yeah. my thought was that if there's a monopoly and they b were, you know, kind of bought into the idea of organics, biodynamics, it could really be a game changer for a country or a region. Do you see that sort of? I know that that happened, Sunny, in Norway, that that happens in Norway and Sweden in terms of the products that they bring in. Yeah, they're very uh, particular with, uh, you know, not just about being organic, but also how they treat their workers. They're looking exactly. into sort of deeper, but I, I'm not sure. I, I don't live there now, obviously, anymore, but uh, my family's there. But I'm, I'm curious about that question, how you see it in Canada, because I don't really see, um, maybe I'm wrong, but Norwegians really being like, oh, I only want organic wine. They basically just jump on whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I could be wrong. I mean, they, they want quality wine, but I'm not so sure they're like really sort of 
strict about that. So I, well, how are the, how is it in Canada? Um, well, I would say that the uh, liquor board here announced, I guess, probably about a year and a half ago that they were going to uh, champion the spirit of sustainability, which was interesting. Um, they do carry some products. What I will tell you as, uh, as a buyer, just going in, is that it's not very clear. There's no, okay, you know, um, you know, I asked somebody, okay, where can I find a vegan, vegan wine? They have no idea. Like the product consultants, there's no shelf. There's nowhere to go. You literally have to turn every single bottle back around. Um, they're not making, I guess, from what I've seen a big splash around, you know, certified organic or sustainable or these types of things. And they're not really doing the education piece. And, and that's too bad. Um, hmm. But they have said they would. So maybe it's just, you know, they got sidetracked by COVID. I don't know. It's a little bit different here, too, because, again, being government run, I mean, it's not that everybody who works there, like, alcohol is their passion or this is their jam, right? Like, right. It, you know, it's it's kind of like there's the post office, there's the liquor stores, there's, <laughs> yeah. you know, right. it's like, you know, it's kind of weird and it's kind of a... um you know, it's kind of a shame, really, because they're not, they're doing a disservice in a way to the population here. Now, that being said, with COVID, things have changed here for the first time ever. And they started letting restaurants sell wines. And slowly by slowly, um, you know, like the the stores I work with, we're we're starting to uh, be able to sell alcohol. And this is a very new, new thing. And so I think what's going to happen is they're going to just you know, continue to sell wine, perhaps the way they do or pivot a little bit, but we'll have the opportunity to tell the story to the Ontario consumers. That's great. So um, at the end, so what future trends do you see uh, now going forward in terms of production, new varietals and, and consumer behavior? We're obviously talked about consumer behavior, but what do you see going to happening in the next five to 10 years? Put well, up your crystal ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one good thing is we're all drinking a lot of wine right now. Uh, we certainly for- are. <laughs> we're drinking a ton of wine. Uh, I've done my share. I've done my fair share. I can say since COVID <laughs> happened. Me too. Um, Me three. But, you know, with that, I think some of us are looking to cut back. And what it is, is we actually like the flavor. We like the flavor of that gin and tonic or that glass of wine. And so I think what we're going to see is that lower alcohol and and non-alcohol are going to take a much bigger market share, Uh but they're going to be really well done. Okay. It's Mm. not going to be that, you know, years ago when I was pregnant and I bought this wine that was non-alcoholic because we had a celebration and it honestly it was like, I, I was better off drinking my child's juice box. Like it was so bad. And, and now what we're seeing slowly by slowly is actually wines that are very good. And even in, in the low alcohol category, and, and of course there's always been some low alcohol wines, but what I'm saying is this is going to be a very uh, big, big, big trend. So I see that I see Rosé is still holding strong and, taking a bigger, bigger market share, um, which is super cool. I think um, alternative packaging is a huge trend. And I can say that for me as somebody who, you know, is really looking for green products. 
um, <clears throat> that I'm looking and I'm hoping to move the dial on those customers around uh, packaging and getting over it. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe in the States, people are a little bit better about getting past packaging, but here in Canada, it's like, whoa. No, it depends on the consumer here too and where you live. It's, it's you know, we're not necessarily any less that way than you guys are. Okay. Well, I mean, that's good to know. It, it took us like, I don't know, 10, 15 years to get over screw caps. So I think <laughs> we're there. I think we're there. But yes, this whole wine in a can or in a Tetra pack, um, it's still a slow go. But that being said, I think, again, as consumers become more educated and more conscious of the environment, that they're going to be looking for alternative packaging. That's great. We have taken up so much of your time. Thank you so much. It was really fascinating to discuss um, all of this stuff with you. And congratulations on all your new exciting projects. I can't wait to buy your book. Well, thank you both so much for having me. It was absolutely my pleasure. And you guys enjoy the rest of this lovely sunny day. Thank you. You too, with a glass of rosé. Vegan, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Bye-bye. Next week, we're going to be speaking with Christy Frank, owner of Cupcake Wineworks in upstate New York. Christy has been really active in the wine industry fighting the wine tariffs of last year as well as a guru and advisor to many different organizations. Can't wait to speak to her next week. When you're looking for our podcasts, they drop on Fridays, and you can find them wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. This is Vignetto, a podcast. From the sun.